I'm someone that has been going to therapy for two years now. And um, during my conversations and sessions, we often talk about body and eating and anything related to that. And to really understand these different aspects of me, my parts, you know, my manager part, my exile part, and how I was working with my eating disorder or the way I was like seeing my body and food was like incredible. It changed everything for me and really was able to bring a new level of self-compassion. So I would love to just start even explaining what IFS is for anyone that doesn't really know. And you could even use the example of someone that has issues with eating and food. Yeah, it's it's those clients that I learned IFS from. This goes back 40 years because I'm quite old now. You look and, great. Uh, you look great. Thank you. <laughs> That's the main thing. So I was a young family therapist. Thought we discovered the Holy Grail with family therapy and for sure we didn't have to muck around with the intrapsychic process because we could change everything by just moving around these families, family members, and restructuring the family. And wanted to prove that. So I decided to do an outcome study with anorexia. Well, I was going to do anorexia, but this guy Salvador Mnuchin, who was my hero, had already done that and claimed it had great luck. So bulimia was a new thing, just uh, sort of discovered back in those days. And and so my colleague Mary Jo Barrett and I gathered together 30 bulimic kids and their families and tried to do straight structural family therapy with them. It was one of those when prophecies fail because they really kept binging and purging despite how much we were reorganizing the family just the way the book said to. So out of frustration, I began asking what was going on. We started talking to what to me at the time was the strange language of parts. And they would say, it's the version. When something bad happens in my life, this critic starts to attack me and call me names. And then that brings up a part that makes me feel totally worthless and young and, and desperate and alone and empty. In comes the binge to fill that up and get me away from those feelings. But then the critic comes back and attacks me for having binge. And that makes that young, empty, worthless part feel bad. And so the binge has to come back. And they were caught in that vicious cycle for days. And uh, at first, I, I thought these were what most of the field still thinks they are, which is the critic is an internalized parental critical voice and the binge is a control impulse. And so I was trying to get these clients to fight with the critics, stand up for themselves or control the binge, and they'd come back saying, it's just getting worse. But I was like the man in a hole with a shovel. You know, I didn't know what to do except dig deeper and stand up stronger, fight harder. And until one client who cut herself on her wrists and described the part that was doing that to me, I decided I wasn't going to let her leave my office until we had that part wrestled into surrendering. So after a couple hours of badgering with a kindly said it wouldn't cut her that week, and opened the door the next session, she had a big gash down the side of her face. And I collapsed emotionally and just spontaneously said, I give up. I can't beat you with this. And that was a turning point in the history of this model because I shifted and the part in turn softened and said, I don't really want to beat you. And 
So I got curious and said, well, why do you do this? The part talked about how when she was young, how much it needed to get her out of her body because she was being sexually abused. And this was the only way it knew how to do that. And so I shifted again. Now I have a kind of appreciation for the heroic role it played in her life. And I can convey that to the part that broke into tears because everyone demonized it and tried to get rid of it, including parts of her. And so that, again, was a historic moment in this movement. And from that point on, rather than trying to wrestle these parts into submission or change them, I tried to myself and help my clients just get curious about why they're doing what they're doing. And the results have been amazing. Just really just have a huge appreciation for how heroic many of these parts that get vilified are. I think that was my, you know, my profound learning is when you struggle with something for your whole life. So for me, that was food and body. And you just feel like there's such agony around it and there's such pain. And then sort of to be in an environment in therapy, in my case, where I can understand and see where the um, manager, you know, why she's doing that. Oh, she's doing that because she heard that I will no longer be loved if I don't look a certain way or if I don't weigh a certain amount. You know, it's like, oh, that makes so much sense. Like you seek to have me feel loved and you want to keep me safe. Like that makes so much sense to me. And then you can work with the other parts in that way. But finding that compassion for even like the hardest parts of you or even the most painful parts of you is such a beautiful, profound thing. It feels to me like it used to be more harsh. It used to be like, okay, we're going to get this person to think. We're going to get this part of us to comply. We're going to get this, you know, person that has this mental issue to submit. What has that transition like been to, to being like, there's no bad parts. We love all parts of ourselves. Yeah, it's been kind of, uh, I just feel very, very lucky. Stumbled onto this so many years ago and been on this journey. It's been challenging to bring this to our culture because we're so embedded in other paradigms. These are just troubling impulses and and you know, or or there's some kind of mental disease that needs medication. And so yeah, it's 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 been a a tough sell in this culture. And it's amazing now, probably the last five years it seems to be exploded and taken hold and I'm just thrilled to hear that you guys have experienced it and and many of your listeners have too. So mm-hmm. I've often wondered, why me? Why am I the one to bring this? And there are other systems that have some similarities, but I feel both blessed and also burdened by this sense of duty. What is the burden? What part of like? you is feel burdened? <laughs> <laughs> You really get it. I'll be 73 in a few months, and the part of me who's been plugging away these 40 years, and, you know, I think my kids suffered for my being so obsessed with this. I just moved back to the Chicago area to try and reconnect more, and that's all actually going very well. Um, You know, there have been some consequences. That was, I think, what you were asking earlier. And I'm at a point now a lot of my friends are retiring and thinking about laying on the beach most of the day. And I I can't let this go. I just feel like I 
I've been given this precious gift and I have to take it as far as I can. So that's the burden of it. Yeah. And I've, I've worked with that part. It is a part. Uh, and, you know, part of coming back to being with family is trying to find more balance and, and that actually has been helping. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're very grateful. And I know people that are just being introduced to this work will, will certainly feel the same. Thank you so much for tuning in to Morning Microdose by Almost 30. We hope you enjoyed waking up. As always, we encourage you to take what resonates and leave the rest. If you enjoyed this trip, tune into the full episode on the Almost 30 podcast. All episode information can be found in the show notes. Make sure to subscribe. And if this becomes a part of your morning routine, be sure to share it with a friend. We have new inspiring doses Monday through Friday. Follow us on Instagram at Morning Microdose and follow Almost 30 at Almost 30 Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the vortex.